and welcome on in. Enzwell Boxing, Ireland's boxing podcast. I'm Al Rich. Click on the link in the attached show notes. You'll find all our previous episodes. If you want to get in touch, suggestions, ideas, you'll find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or you can email us at endswellpod at protonmail.com. Welcome on in indeed. And as always, it is a very great privilege and pleasure to be in your ears for this episode. Which is going to play out a little bit like this. I caught up with Bray's European bronze medal winner, Regan the Rocket Buckley, to see how he's been keeping. And of course, to hear the plight of their club, St. Teresa's. Well, the people we were so blatant off um, told us that, that we should be okay. Um, so, so we didn't think anymore. But then we got a phone call to say that, um, that everything was sold, that the airplane was sold as well. And adding a touch of bank holiday barbecue flavour from the nation who's mastered barbecues is Australian super welterweight, Michael Zarafa. Um, yeah, I said that's a fight we wanted. I truly believe I'll beat him. He's a legend. Um, but I believe I'm, I'm better. So for that fight, call my management and let's make it happen. There's news, there's views, there's suggestions on what to view, and maybe what not. If I could have set a scene this time last year, probably would have played out a little something like the following. Would be for the podcast to grow steadily, to build contacts, to build listeners and relationships and welcome guests back and forth to do some collaborations, uh, to learn as much as possible about the whole process of podcasting and to improve on a personal level, to slow my pace of life, to reduce the stress, anxiety and just learn to relax and trust the process as they say and, and, and go with the flow and for health to overall become my wealth without being too cliched, to correct some areas in my personal life, spot and fix, and and just learn from mistakes that I've made over the most recent past. Today, as I create this episode with splendid sunshine beating down, the podcast has grown in every way I could have hoped, and some. I'm healthy. The pace of life is almost, almost perfect. I've been just inundated this week with messages of support and just congratulations and just everything. To to say I've been humbled and happy and blown away about all the news that when it broke about Wayne and Dennis, it's rare I get stuck for words, but I'm stuck for words. There have been too many to mention who have been in touch with messages, text messages, emails, uh, social media messages. It's just been brilliant. And I appreciate each and every one of you. I will get to each and every one of you and reply to you in due course. I promise you that. So thank you very much. If we were to trawl through the different sites and newspapers and uh, podcasts and everything else to find some meaningful quality news, boxing related, uh, Spike O'Sullivan continues his pursuit of a title showdown with fellow Golden Boy fighter Patrick Texteria. The Brazilian holds the WBA version of the light middleweight title and despite the fact he's coming off a loss, Spike has been relentless. He's been calling out Texteria, he's been goading him, he's been doing everything he does well. And I'm not 100% sure whether he's entitled to a fight, whether he believes it. The one thing you can be sure of, if anyone can convert a social media war of words into a fight, it's Spike O'Sullivan. So watch that space, see how it plays out, and um, good luck to you, Spike. This week was open season for pot shots at the BUI. First of all, it was Ken Egan's, um, shall we say, colourful interview. Uh, where he went into details about promoters and the BUI and everything else. And then Boxing Ireland jumped on the bandwagon, coming with the latest um, shots across the bow of the BUI and and, and, and one of those cliched quotes of the straw that broke the camel's back, as they refer to the new costs being incurred for insurance. Now everybody knows promoters like to talk. For the most part, it's what they do best. And as we said... A lot of talk this week has been in shooting down the BUI, but but the same promoters are a little bit slow at times to make meaningful fights, if we're being honest. We know Eric Donovan was kept kicking his heels for far too long, and hopefully it won't be to the detriment of his career in the long term. And again, this week, two of their own fighters are calling for them to stop talking and start doing. Remains to be seen what comes of this, but fans needn't worry. 
Ring Kings is in the process of being rescheduled, which it's hard to put a date on right now, but I have spoken to Neil Power in the last few days. That will go ahead as soon as possible. And perhaps for Irish boxing fans in Ireland, there might just be a little surprise in the works. The IABA issued a statement this week outlining the 10th of August as the opening date for all clubs to resume training as normal. International boxing as we know it is still some way off. They will continue to monitor and to be guided by government guidelines. So it was Dom O'Rourke issued that statement earlier in the week. So it is still some way off. But again, trying to be positive, it's closer than it was when we set out on this crazy, crazy unknown journey way back when. Are tensions easing between PBC and top rank? It could well be more social media BS, but reports do suggest that Sean Porter and Terence Crawford may be, may be willing to negotiate. I have my doubts. Should they all grow up and eventually grow up here, it would bring a simmering 147 division to almost boiling over with the amount of fighters on both sides who are badly in need of testing themselves against one another. But Sean Porter and Terence Crawford would be just an absolutely unbelievable fight and you can imagine the car that even on 147 alone if they were so watch that one very closely so as I alluded to a few minutes ago I did read the interview Kenneth Egan in last week's paper whichever one it was um, read so many responses and so many quote unquote opinions from people inside boxing and from the usual outliers who just do what they do when it comes to boxing and everything else kick it around but they don't understand it they don't know it they'll just talk about it anyway and uh, I, I thought long and hard about broaching the subject on this podcast because it's there's two divisive subjects that I have found right from the go- jump on this podcast one is the politics and the setup of the IABA and the other is MTK and it divides people right down the centre people for and against people have opinions and everything and everybody has entitled in fairness everybody who is involved and who has had experience rightly or wrongly are entitled to share those opinions Um, but for me I don't need to take sides on anything because my care is always and only ever about fighters and speaking to fighters and our trainers and our coaches and at times sometimes yeah promoters and um, I got to thinking, and here were my thoughts after reading the article, considering whether to broach it or not, and then deciding I would. So the things that came to mind, the IOC scandal, Pat Hickey, and the €400,000 bail money that was paid off for his illegal dealings at the Olympics. That, of course, four hundred grand bail money was then written off. Okay, there's John Delaney and his... Um, career of of questionable dealings and substandard performances with the FAI. There's the GAA in Kildare, Mayo and Roscommon to mention just a few. Who knows and cares what others counties have had their problematic flawed finances. And I can tell you this much from my experience and my time involved with Kildare. It wasn't to be laughed at. Ministers, councillors, councils and governments, church, church committees a list of dodgy, illegal and illicit and wrong behaviour in the financial fields alone are endless. Should we talk about charities and government agencies, console, care trust and rehab? And what about then the absolute disgusting and disgraced Foss and Roddy Malloy? There's cases then in the when we border a criminal and we go into the into the criminal world, we look at little Mary Boyle, who's murdered and buried in a field up in Roscommon. There's uh, murdered Bernadette Connolly in Sligo. There was vanished Philip Kerrins up in Rathfarnham. Father Niall Malloy murdered with a sitting government minister in the house when it happened. It'd be wrong. It'd be dismissive. It'd be disrespectful and wrong of me to downplay events surrounding the Regency attack and all that surrounded and all that went with it. I don't believe or or suggest for a moment it should be forgotten, swept under the carpet like any of these other crimes that I've mentioned. It should not be downplayed. But, let's look at it. Criminal offence committed by criminals who all, if not most, most if not all of whom are known by the authorities. It happened at a boxing event. Committed at, happened to be committed at a boxing event. 
Now in a country which has become rife with scandals, crime, crime cover-ups, sport in sport and in society, should boxing and boxers be the only sport to be held responsible, accountable and blamed for crimes which most, 99, which if we're being honest, 99.9% of boxers have no involvement or knowledge of it. Boxing is the only sport in this country which is booming, thriving, turning out international competitors and winners on a monthly basis. And you can talk about professional or amateur if you want. The only sport which can be relied on to win medals at European, Worlds and Olympic events over and over and over again. Gaelic footballers, hurlers, weren't banned in Kildare or Roscommon or any of the rest of the country for the uh, misgivings and the flawed performances of committees. League of Ireland clubs and players, they weren't banned from, or stopped from playing or discouraged when their chief executive was uh, doing what he wanted to do. Genuine, authentic charities haven't been stopped from fundraising and many of those employ highly, highly paid executives. I'm not going to suggest or pontificate on who's involved with what, promoters at what level. It's not my job and it's not my concern. There are highly paid authorities, high-ranking officers in this country who are tasked with dealing all of the aforementioned cases and are not, or not as the case may be. They're tasked with investigating and dealing with any and all such accusations and crimes, whether it be financial, whether it be criminal, whether it be in society, whether it be in the sporting world, wherever. When the everyday GAA footballer, the Sunday league player or the athlete are allowed to encouraged and enabled to compete at home regularly, why shouldn't our boxers be allowed? There's too many questions with very few answers. And there's one side of a story being peddled and trotted out all the time by a very select part of the media. I don't have the answers. I don't have the interest to get involved in that side of it. What I care about is a sport which is absolutely enjoying its golden age. Are we going to let it pass us by without even trying? I think it's time for some fair play. I think it's time the boxers were treated the way they deserve to be treated. And I think it's time the authorities, if there's something needs to be done... Let them do it. And let's just stop judging our sport in the court of public opinion, eh? And while we're talking media and boxing coverage and all the things they do and don't do, not just in Ireland, but I guess in Europe and, and in boxing coverage worldwide, one of the many things that the UFC and indeed the WWE do better than boxing is to promote and tell the story of every fighter as they progress through the ranks. Whether you're a prospect who got his chance, uh, whether you're a challenger who climbed the ranks, or whether you're a champion who was crowned, and how he has found his each step along that path. Boxing media, by and large, go from fight to fight, rarely, rarely shining the light or pulling back the curtain on the boxer's profile for fans at home. It's what my aim is and has been here from the jump. And at the very least, it's to try build the stories of our boxers, our trainers, our gyms, uh, managers, and, and all the different entities and characters that go to make amateur and professional boxing the sport that it is. As they build their career and plot their course along that bumpy road, uh, I, I just love telling the story and hearing the stories and hearing the ones of the fighters that went before who paved the way for them. So... I believe that is an area that boxing media coverage needs to improve on and dare I say maybe highlight a little bit more than the negative that they tend to do on quite a lot of the time. And as we're talking about this, one of the best Irish podcasts to come to the fore in the last while is of course Paddy Barnes and his self-entitled Paddycast. Get a chance this week, have a listen to Paddy as he chats with his lifelong pal Jamie Conlon. He welcomed him on and they told their stories of, of, of careers through the amateur, through the pro ranks. But listen in particular how Jamie speaks about progressing into management, representing his brother Michael, who's been on here with us a few times, and how it brings a different kind of pressure. But he also talks about how boxers in Ireland were represented or not by the likes of Matchroom, by the likes of Queensbury and the different promoters who would have come across here to promote shows but always for the benefit of the fighters coming from the UK and how Irish fighters would then see themselves on the receiving end. It's a really, really good interview. It's fun. It's light-hearted at times. It's a little bit... It, it's real. It's, it's the best thing you could say about it. But as we talk about stories, my first guest, you could say his story is, is a pretty typical boxing one. 
Regan Buckley has been on with me, as I said, a few times in the past, and he joins me again to reflect on, on the last few months for himself, his boxing, and all that goes. Delighted to welcome you back on the podcast. It's hard to believe for anyone that hasn't been listening this long. It's almost a year ago exactly that uh, Regan was flying high in, in Minsk, took a bronze medal, and it could very easily <laughs> have been silver or gold. It was a, it was a very competitive tournament. You, you hit it exactly right, and uh, it was a special time, wasn't it? Yeah, geez, it was unbelievable. Um, looking back at it, just how close, how close it could have been to a gold medal as well. It's a bit of a, looking back at it, I was like, geez, you know, we had, had to just stayed out and boxed it more, kind of stuff like that. But um, it was delighted to be coming home with a with a medal from my first major competition, um, internationally, like. And and a lot of we we won't do the coulda shoulda woulda because I know you lads live for the next fight all the time, whether that's in life or whether that's in the ring or whatever it is, that's what it is. It's the next challenge, the next challenge. It was um yeah. you, you more than quitted yourself in in that tournament, as did the team. I mean, it was the team was just on a on, and I remember predicting at the time, and I remember rallying the troops as as much as I could, saying, yeah. "Get behind this team now. This is special. This has all the hallmarks of those teams of your." Um, <laughs> we could never have predicted what was coming down the line, either <laughs> in in the world at large or for Regan Buckley. Um, the yeah. homecoming itself was phenomenal, wasn't it? The welcome. I, I remember seeing some of the footage. Talk about that and getting back to Bray. Oh, it, was un- it was unbelievable. Now when I got home, even in the airport and stuff like that, was like so many cameras and and kind of everyone everyone there was like overwhelming. And then obviously when I got back to Bray, then um, they had a, a, a big surprise party, kind of. Um, in the local pub, responded me so they had a big surprise and banners and all set up when I got home. So, and um, which which was deadly. So I, I thought I was just going down to kind of to a few, just a couple of people. Do you know what I mean? To uh, have a little celebration, but um, yeah, there was there was, geez, well over well over a hundred or hundred and fifty people there, like, um, and it was all getting pictures and all. So it was it was unbelievable. Like you know, you felt like a bit of a superstar because you are a bit of a superstar. Let's be honest about it. And I remember speaking to Gronya Walsh as well at the time, and it was a special time for for not that it's any more special for any medal winner, but I guess for the guys and the girls that are coming from the back of the queue, as she said to me, she said she come through those doors many a time, pushing the bags while the others are coming through, and it's very special to be in that spotlight. You you said it there, Regan, and and I just wanted to quiz you a little bit on it. Can it be a little bit daunting? Can it be a little bit overwhelming when there's all of a sudden you're used to nobody being around and coming in at the small hours of the morning on the budget flights to um, to <laughs> to a scrum of media all around the place? H- how is that? Um, yeah, it was, it was a bit mad, but just kind of just taking it, taking it, destroyed, like you know that kind of way. Um, as I say, you've been kind of knocking on the door the whole time. You know what I mean? Looking for looking for a little break, um, and you're kind of there, thereabouts all the time, and then you kind of get it, and then it's. It's nearly gone in, in the blink of an eye. Like you know, it's kind of one thing after the other. Like even when we were in training before, and the, the camera crews coming in and stuff like that, and they're kind of you're just kind of taking it as day by day. Like you know what I mean? But it was a bit mad, and especially the, the when we got over there to the to the village and everything like that, and, and kind of seeing everything, it was just definitely definitely overwhelming. Like. Yeah, and, and go from being in that cocoon of the village, of the team, of the keeping the routine. We won't go down that road again. We've done that enough. The yeah. reception when you came home was brilliant. The welcome you got was brilliant. One thing I always wonder, and I, and I wanted to ask you, is how hard is it to keep any sort of a baseline or a routine f- when all that's going on? Yeah, well, that's when I wanted to get straight back into my routine of training. And, um, like I normally did, I was out in the, in the high performance you know, for, for weeks and weeks beforehand. And we were then we were in Belfast, kind of in training camps as well as that stuff. Um, so I was more looking forward to getting home to my dad and, and and getting back to what we do, like you know, air air training, air bit of bonding time as well. Like, so when we got back, of course, I had the uh, the old celebrations and that. Um, and there was you know, there was loads of uh, media, newspaper articles, kind of people looking for interviews, and pictures and stuff like that. But I was more just focused on on just kind of getting back to me. To me, normal training routine. I mean, the next day we were we were back out to was running and doing pads and stuff like that. Like just looking towards the next goal straight away. So that was my main focus. And the others, all the other stuff was kind of just in the background, just in the back of my mind. Like the early morning dips and that bloody freezing cold. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's rough. It is rough. In fairness, to some days you be you can hear me screaming from the bottom of Bray Beach, and I'd be at the top. I do often say, Regan, in scenes like that, in scenarios, I hear this high-pitched sound, and I wonder, where is it coming from? And then you realise, oh, that's me. <laughs> yeah, there's Regan getting in the water again. <laughs> but listen, it's important here at this junction as well to give the man, the main man, a big shout-out, because Mark has been a big, big... He's been he's been too big a part of your story. He's been the biggest part of your story from from not just being your dad, but from being the coach. He's been 
yeah. worked with the likes of Pete Taylor. He's been a big part of Katie. He's been a big part of most of the boxers that are coming out, Brian. I highlighted this this time last year. Yeah. Lots of times the media on this island, if that's what we want to call them, highlight boxing when something bad happens or when yeah. there's a downside of it. And and that's what they do. something in it for them. Yeah. All the time. All the time. And that's not to say that there's not bad stuff goes on in this planet, but there's enough of those hacks out there to do that. They don't yeah. want to be in such a hurry then to get back and correct it when you guys are delivering the likes of you, Katie, Dana, Casey Rock, the, uh, Ka- Carl Kelly, the amount of just top class. And I'm only talking boxing. We could go to rugby, yeah. we could go to soccer. It irritates me. The whole aim of this is to highlight what you guys were doing. And what you guys were doing through the media of boxing, through St. Teresa's and everything else, was just second to none. You were on a crescendo. It was going in one direction. You got yeah. put yourself back in training. You got back to the seniors. You had what I would say, in my opinion, is the best amateur, the best fight I've seen at the national level in, uh, I wouldn't like to speculate, yourself and Jude, it didn't go your way. Talk to me a little bit about that one. Did you expect it to be what it was? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I expected, I, I knew exactly what was going to happen in the fight. Um, and I had a game plan. I started off first round with the get with the game plan, which was to, to hit him and move and, and kind of outbox him, um, which started great and I was happy enough. And then the old, uh, the old habit kicked in of... of I, I'm a bit kick-headed and I like to get into wars and stuff like that, so um, the old habit kicked in, I, I got into a bit of a war with him, um, which which wasn't part of the game plan, I was told to snap out as well, but as I say, I'm, I know if I, had, if I had stuck back in boxing, I would have beaten him, you know, that kind of way, so um, it's time again to get a shoulder water cutter, like, I was, I was very disappointed. Again, the honesty, the, the, the straight talking is there again, but it was a phenomenal fight, it had all the yeah. makings, oh, I got fighted at night if I remember rightly. But the outcome didn't go your way. Now, my, my thinking at that stage, and anybody that knows Regan, and, and we have to give Lewis Amara a shout-out there because I think he's one of the biggest um, advocates for amateur boxers in this island. And he, he's been yeah, with he's you guys. Supporter, yeah. He supports you guys from the jump. you got to admire that. And then whether you go amateur, whether you go pro, whether, no matter where you go, he becomes he's more than just a supporter. He's a genuine, decent guy. So I want to give a big shout-out to Lewis. Yeah. He's given me lots of advice and he's, he's just a nice fella. We all expected Regan to get back into camp, get the head down and be expecting then for the world, the Olympics. Not for the first time, the rocket surprised us all. Talk, talk, talk to us a little about that. You, you had a big think, didn't you? You had a change of direction. Yeah, so basically I was, I was training full-time all year. And I was expecting after the after the European Games to, to be put on funding and for to, to be able to train full-time with the high-performance and and I wasn't able to get put on funding. They said that just because my weight was taken out of the Olympics, um, that I wouldn't get funding. So basically, what it was, I was I was living on forty four euro a week on the social welfare, and trying to be you know traveling and out and stuff. And I hadn't I had no money to live. I had no money to pay my car insurance. I had no money to pay off anything or pay rent to the house or or get anything for myself. You know anything like that. Um, so I, I was skinned all the time and. To be honest with you, I had to, I had to get a job. So I was looking at like, we'll, we'll kind of go for the, we'll go for the elite. See, we we'll see what happens with the elites, and um, and we'll kind of go from there. If we win the elites, then we'll, we'll push on and try and um, go for the qualifiers and stuff like that. Um, and and but it was always in the back of my mind when I was training. I was like, you know, kind of, you're constantly worrying about money as well. Like, and you're saying, I have to get a job and I have to do something. Like, you know, so I wasn't able to, I wasn't able to carry on my training. I wasn't able to carry on. Uh, training enough for competition because I had to work to make money so it was just it just wasn't able to work and which resulted then in Regan basically announcing his retirement which was uh, yeah. a and, and I thought about it at the time contacting you but I knew I knew it wasn't a decision that would have come easily I think I sent you a message and I think I spoke to your dad just to make sure from a, from a, the bigger picture was that you were okay because I know how much it means to you I know much boxing at that level it becomes more than a pastime more than an interest it's, it's a life a lifestyle of course and, yeah and it, that is something that I listen I've become close to quite a I won't say too many but enough to know that all is not as it seems. It, it, they're a phenomenal bunch of people. It's a phenomenal team. It's a phenomenal setup. But there's a lot of people operating on different levels. There's some people will be top level grants. Or some people won't be getting any grants. But everybody is expected yeah. to work at the same level, which is very, very yeah. difficult and very unfair exactly, at times. Yeah. If you want to be honest about it. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. If they're expecting you to be in there all the time and, and dedicating your whole life to it, then you 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 should be getting something out of it, you know what I mean? Particularly um, when you come home with a European medal in your ass pocket, you're after mixing it with the best, and let's be honest, the draw in the very first round, you were drawn against some fella that was no slouch either, you know, so... Um, of course, yeah, he was a European Games champion from the last time out. 
and all those things taken into account, it still didn't seem to make a difference. And it led to you making your decision. But again, knowing you the way we know you, you went your direction, you got your qualification, you got the new car, you got the drive, everything was going in the one direction. But if yeah. I guess, if, if I'm to hazard a guess here now, boxing was never a million miles away. You were still training, you were still living the life, you were still doing the challenges. The optimist in all of us, somewhere along the line, would have been for you maybe eventually to come back to this cohort somewhere down the road. But that, yeah. but yeah. the bigger picture and the one I want to chat to you today is, um, sadly, that for now is is not an option because your club, St. Teresa's, the one that your dad runs, that your little brother trains over with, like, like Rocky yeah. and Mickey to hi- side by side, <laughs> like like you did for so long. Um, talk to us a little bit about that and tell us tell us what's happened. Well, um, the, the last couple of weeks there now, um, we were, we'd heard that the, the landlord that was that was that owned the whole building we were in, um, we were going to be selling it, but the people were so blatant off, um, told us that, that we should be okay, um, so so we didn't think any more of it. Then we got a phone call to say that um, that everything was sold, that the airplane was sold as well, and that we had two weeks to get our gear up. Um, so basically it went from there. So I say we were um. We had to kind of find somewhere quickly to to try and shift all the gear out of the, out of the place and um and now at the minute then we we can't get anywhere to 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 put our boxing club um the old place that we were in uh, was up on the Southern Cross it was a little community centre in an estate um and that was absolutely perfect for us for renting off the council um but what happened there was was reasonably why we had to move is the council wanted to start using it for, for other things in the evening and stuff like that. So they give us a certain amount of hours a week and we had to take all the gear down, take the ring down, the bags down. Um, but again, we had nowhere to store all the stuff. So it, it just wasn't an option. So the community centre hadn't, hadn't been used for 14 years before we moved in. It was just empty, it was a shell. And um, the people of the community were delighted to see it being used and being looked after. And before we got there, it was destroyed with graffiti and stuff. And... We cleaned everything up and we had it looking spotless. And then after we left, same again. It's been a year since we left that that club, and um, it's there's been nothing put in it, and um, so it's been back back to the way it was, an empty shell again, uh, getting damaged and stuff like that. And um, so basically, we we, we were going we're going to try and push for to try and get that back. Um, but as I say, at the minute we're just we're, we're looking for anywhere or anyone that can try and help us out, um, to get to get us a premises because. If you can't find a premises soon when we open back up, we're gonna lose our boxers, you know, and the club's gonna to have to close. Um we were we were offered by the likes of Rat New and Jobstown Boxing Club um to come out and use their premises and train with them. But at the same time it'd be grand for the, the likes of me of a car or the the young kids in, in that are around Bray. Like I mean, almost all of our our boxers are from Bray, so for them to be travelling out to Jobstown or travelling out to Rat New um, three or four times a week it just wouldn't be possible especially for the young kids with the parents working and stuff like that so we lose an awful lot of, of boxers just through that alone yeah. um, but there's there's so many places in Bray but at, at the same time it's the rents are either too high or if it's, if it's off the council we can't get a place off them either so we're kind of stuck at the minute and this is not the first time. I mean, this is this is the second time, and maybe and we want to say that eighteen months or so that we've seen a boxing club been closed in Bray. And I'm not going to go into the details of it. I'm not going to go into the to the nitty gritty or to the weeds with it. But mm-hmm. the point is, okay, tell me, I'm biased, right? I am biased. This is my sport. I love this sport. I love everything it <laughs> does for it. And it goes beyond you guys coming through those doors with medals around your neck. It go. It, if, if we look at the fellas that are helping, just the people that are going in doing a couple of hours a day, whether it's helping Mark put the bags up, whether it's sweeping out a floor, or whether it's a fella that's going in just to keep the weight off, or whether it's a girl who's been yeah. bullied, she's learning how to defend herself, she's learned. It goes, it, it doesn't even have to go to national titles, it doesn't go to international titles. It's it's the no. ordinary, everyday man on the street. You don't need to, all you need to do is bring a gum shield in your pocket. And even sometimes I'm sure Mark has a few of them lying around the place. So, of course he does, yeah. It's 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 the, the working man. Is. It's the real man. It's the real world sport. It's it's the it's where dreams start. Sometimes a fella goes in trying to get a bit of weight off, and before he can t- know it, he blinks and he's standing on a podium somewhere beside the rocket. I mean, this is where dreams are made. Wh- what can people do, Regan? How can they help you? How can they support you? Um, there's going to be years on here. We'll have Michael Zarafa on just after you. There's going to be people listening to this in Australia, Irish people all over the world. What can we do? How can we help you? Is there a petition somewhere that we can link to and sign, or what can we do? I've set up a petition. Um, it's on my Facebook page. 
Um, so we're we're trying to get as many signatures as we can um, on, on that petition, and it's it's basically just just sharing the word around, and then hopefully somebody somebody somewhere is is willing to help us out. Um, you know anyone that that owns a owns a premises that's that's not being used, and I mean the COVID nineteen as well. And um, there'll be an awful lot of people that have premises that wouldn't be used that we could could look after for them, keep it clean, um, and while while all this is going on as well, like, um, it's just just to get the word out and, and keep pushing um just to try and uh, try and get somewhere for us because as I say if we don't it'll, it'll be the end of a, of, a, of a great boxing club in Bray and boxing is the biggest it is the biggest sport in Bray like you know it's like you have Katie Taylor Adam Nolan boxing at a Bray boxing club two Olympians you have me myself Dana Morehouse you know you have you have so many accomplished boxers in the area like you know so it's um it'd be, it'd be an awful shame to uh and even for our little club we've Men coming in, people coming in suffering with depression, and and that's that little, that little thing to cheer them up or, or to make them feel better. We've taken so many kids off the street, um, you know, keeping them away from gangs or whatever it is, hanging around on the roads, you know, and give teaching them a bit of discipline as well. Um, she's a can't I can't count uh, how many how many kids we've we've taken in as well, like you know, yeah. and um, it really is it's it's the best sport in the world for for any kid to to get involved in, um, so it'd be it'd be an awful shame if. Uh, if he did have to close over something like this. Yeah, no, and what, so what we're asking is anybody, whether you might know somebody, you might not have to be the person themselves with the deep pockets, you might know somebody, you might know someone with a set of keys to a building that's been lying out. We're, what we're asking is just spread the word around. And if you can't even, even if you can't do that, I'm going to put a link in this in today's episodes, in the show notes today, I'm going to put it in below, get to it, just put your name to it. That's all it takes, it's just to put a name on the sheet, you're not asking you to sign anything to give away your bank details or anything else, just to get behind this club and make these dreams carry on because there's some special little talent and, they, and even then there's a little rocket coming behind and I can only speak from seeing the coverage and listening <laughs> to your dad, listen to the dedication and there's one of those in every housing estate in Bray and in every housing estate in Ireland so we really need people to just get on side here, help us out if you can do nothing else, just put your name on that and share the thing. And anything else, Regan, I'll leave it with you to, to finish it out. Yeah, well, basically, we really appreciate you putting the link in, in here as well. Like, you know, it'll, it'll, be, it'll be a huge help. Um, and just as I said, if anyone knows anybody who, who, who could who could possibly help us or um, or kind of point us in the right direction and give us some pointers, um, feel free to contact me as well or, or my father, Mark Buckley. Um, it'd be much appreciated. Would you like to reduce your monthly bills? Whether it's utility bills such as electricity, gas, TV and broadband, or mobile phone, mortgage and various life, home or pet insurance. I Choose want to find the best deal for the Irish consumer and make sure you get the best deal every time. Click the link in today's show notes, sign up and I Choose will do the rest. Thanks again to Regan for taking time to chat with me. Anybody that can help in any way, shape or form, please do get in touch with myself here or the guys at St. Teresa's. And at the very least, I would really appreciate if you could take time to click on the link in the show notes today. Put your name to the petition, which will do nothing more than just say that you've seen it and supported it. And maybe if you could, copy it and share it around as well. It'll be really, really greatly appreciated for a club that does a massive amount of good in the community around Bray. few boxing milestones this week. As I record this episode, I'm reminded that 12 months ago to this day, at the seismic-like shift where AJ was dethroned by the unfancied but far from uncouth Andy Ruiz. A conversation I had with Wayne McCullough over the weekend centred around that very topic, the willingness of fighters to take the big fights, to step up and take those sterling tests, to go from the shallow, comfortable waters in the UK and Europe and move across to the shark-infested deep waters across in the US with the many champions on all the different weights. We spoke about Frank Bruno versus Bonecrusher Smith against Tim Witherspoon and of course against Mike Tyson. He never stopped trying, never did, big Frank. Nigel Benn of course and Gerald McClellan. Ricky Hatton did it many times and Nazim's spectacular beating by... by and Naz's spectacular beating by Barrero which might just well have been set in motion by the great man himself. And last but not least, we chatted about his great pal, close friend, the Celtic warrior Steve Collins, who started in the US, developed a grid, a granite-like chin, and finished his career on a high that very few could ever forget. Manny did opt to stay in the comfortable, shallow, warm, cosy waters around Europe and the UK. Wayne dared to be great, 
and he did it many times. He was and he still is. My next guest has a throwback like style and attitude. My next guest has a throwback style and attitude. He wants to fight and has fought the likes of Peter Quillen at middleweight, back down to fight Kelbrook at light middleweight and back up again to fight Jeff Horn twice at middleweight. Very simply put, Michael Zarafa wants to fight and he spoke to me on Monday morning. Practice makes perfect. I, I truly believe that. Um, you know, my hard work is second to none. You know what I mean? So uh, every time I fail, I learn. It's just how I grow as a fighter. And like I said, I've done a lot in 10 years. You know, I've fought for every regional title. I've fought five world champions. I've beaten world champions. I've fought for world titles. So, and I'm still young. I'm only 28 years old. And this year, you know, and, and my prime and 32 fights in and, and, you know, top 10 in the world. I'm looking forward to what's what's next. I'm excited. The one that you're, you're best known here in, Ar- in Ireland and I suppose this side of the planet, uh, for was of course 2018 the Kell Brook fight which um which I'll come to in a little bit um <laughs> but you're you're born in Australia you've grown up there I spent two years in the mo- and the way I could sum up my two years in Australia was it's the greatest place on earth it's um it has everything and anything and more and and you can take and leave what you want country and people that are obsessed with sport it has a climate it has everything for it how was that for you growing up a young Michael Zarafa um look it was good uh, I've always loved my sport I was always competitive as a kid. So I had to be in whatever I did. But, you know, in Melbourne, we've got a lot of the high sports here. You know, we've got soccer, AFL. So there's a, there's a lot of lot of sports here that I have to compete. For me, it was always a standout sport, being an individual in boxing. I always said when I was a young kid, I want to be the best. And, you know, I'm going to chase that dream. And uh, in Australia, I'm the best here. So it's the start of something great, I believe. Between, as you said, rugby, hockey, football, just for people that aren't familiar, uh, what they call footy in Australia is AFL. So it's a, we call football here. It's it's a, it's a watered-down version of it. Was it always going to be boxing, Michael? I started as an AFL. I was in AFL playing that sport. And when I was a little kid, I said I want to be a world champion. Yeah, I was always boxing. I was always interested in it. You know, my family did mixed martial arts and whatnot, and I always wanted to stand out and do something different and to know I could have that one fight and change my family's life was motivating for me and uh, I wanted to be a world champion I said I was always going to be it and even though I played other sports I, I never lost faith and, and stuck to that, that goal and that dream so and here I am now 28 years old and fighting for world titles and the world's your oyster the thing about the amateurs is it, it's very very important to get those fundamentals in place and those building blocks to get the foundation the of base course. and all that but at the same time there's a famous coach here in Ireland. He's 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 world renowned. Uh, Mickey Mickey Hawkins is his name. He's based up in Belfast, and he has this famous saying: "It says practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect." But it's important not to get institutionalized. And some people can spend too long in the amateurs as well. You didn't. You didn't suffer that, well, that's did you? Why I always believe that um, win, lose, or draw in the amateurs. It was an apprenticeship. That was just your learning block. Um, and I, I just said, you know, that you can't pay bills with trophies. And you know, why not? go to the pros, be paid for it, try to fight for a world title, um, build your name and, and you know, in the sport, you can't really do that in the amateurs, you know what I mean? Like, you don't get the recognition you deserve. You're 100% right, learn what you can learn from it, get in and get out and then we'll build your, your profile then and we have a couple of pro amateurs here who spent with the likes of Michael Conlon, John John Evan, Paddy Barron, spent so many years, yeah, you, yeah. your own Luke Jackson spent so many years in the amateur setup, and, and it and it takes a long time for them to shake off those rankles then when they get out of it, you know. it's Well, that's what I mean, you know, like Luke Jackson, you know, he's, he's great, uh, he's made a lot as well, he's awesome in the sport, but you know, he's 32 years old, I think he left a little late, you know, and because Australia, boxing's not that, that big here, it's a lot harder, where, you know, Mickey Collin, uh, he... He, you know he's got his country behind him, and um, you know he he could stay in there and build his name, and then obviously he's done that and now turned professional. He's making making a name for himself and doing really great in the sport. And I was lucky enough to meet him when I fought in England against Cal Brooks. He was there and I uh, had a bit of words with him, and it's awesome. You know it's awesome experience. Like I said, the people you meet along the journey is yeah. is grouse. Well, like like your story there, I was in Belfast when Luke um, fought Carl Frampton, and I got to tell you, mate, I have a new, I've respect for all fighters and massive respect, and that was before I had started this podcast. Hundred percent. Luke, Luke Jackson's a war horse. You know? War horse. He, he outwits everybody. He, um, you know, he's one of the best we got down here in in, in Australia. And, um, but yeah, like I said, age does catch up to you, and yeah. Um, you know, you only get a window of opportunity in the sport, so you got to grab it with both hands. I got to say, by hands, the end, so. by the end of the fight that night with with Frampton, I, I, I really wanted. I became a Jackson fan. I knew his story before that by by chance, but I wanted. I just wanted it to be stopped. He was a war horse, 
and from that day till this, I'll never yeah. have anything but love for him. Incredible the way he represented, the way he came out into that. That crowd was just. He's a professional. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's the best way you can put it, 100%. And I want to give a special shout out to him as well because I know he'll, it'll fall on his ears. I message him every week. I'm going to get him yeah, on here eventually. Yeah, I think he's struggling through a couple of. What I love looking at before I get into your fights, Michael, is your, your regime. You, you listen to your body a lot, don't you? You train when, it's, when, when you need to train. I always try to stay fit. I'm always staying, um, you know, fight ready. And that's that's the key. For, I, I truly believe being fight ready is is the um, the success. To be successful, you've always got to be in shape. And a lot of fighters at that top level, you know, they'll, they'll train hard and then they'll go off and, and uh, have their fight and then have a bit of a break, which is, for me, you know, I don't believe in it. You know, if you're a professional, you've always got to be ready. And uh, you don't have to train as hard and, and kill yourself, but, you know, always ticking over. Because you might get a call, you know, you might get a call and and you're the opponent, you know what I mean? And then you might have a three-week turnaround to get ready and, you know, you can't do that at the top level, find those top guys with three weeks, you know, you've got to always be ready, at least a foundation of, of um, you know, like say 80% or 70% where you can build on. So um, for me, look, I, I train two, two, three times a day. Um, when I'm in camp, obviously, the intensity is high. When I'm out of camp, I just go through the motions, enjoy it, have a laugh at the team and, and learn and build on things that I need to, to grow on. And, um, you know, that's just that's just me. That's just how I, everyone's different. Every fight is different. Everyone, you know, some people's body tell them they need, you know, more rest. Some need more recovery. Some need more training. It might sound, to some, it might sound like a silly question, but you've, you've um, amazingly, you've been able to move between the 154 and the 160. What would be the most striking differences in camp? And what would be the, the most emphasis on when you're when you're preparing for a fight at 154 as opposed to 160 or vice versa? Um, look, 154, I'm a natural 154. Um, you know, I find that in, in Australia at 160 middleweight, I'm a good size, but overseas, I'm a little bit too small. Um, so that's why I fluctuate in both weight divisions. And, um, but when, I, when I'm training, not much changes, just basically the intake of food. Um, obviously, I can, I'm not as strict when I can be 170. I mean, I'm still putting good food in my body, but the, obviously the amount I can, I can eat. You know, I can have five or six meals opposed to, you know, three or four. Um, so I get away with a little bit more, but, um, you know, we just, we tweak the training a little bit, you know, we add more strength when I'm at 160, you know, so I'm a lot stronger, because obviously the pace is a little bit slower, so yeah. I try to add the strength. At 154, you know, I just, I, um, I listen to my team, I trust in my team and my management, and, um, you know, if I had it my way, I'd definitely prefer to stay at 154, I'm, I believe I'm a natural 154, but look, I've had big off, I've had big offers at once, good offers at 160, and, um, you know, not, there's not too much difference. I, I truly believe not to. If you if you do the right training camp and you stick to a right diet, recovery, uh, you know, you get your vitamins in. You know, I mean, you're doing everything right, and that's what I mean. A true professional will. And I believe I'm one of those. And obviously, you know, you learn. You learn from your mistakes. I, I'm human, so I do make mistakes, but uh, you learn from them, and you 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 hope that your team um, is by your side and they can pick up on things that you can't. Well, I hear that we all make we all make those mistakes, and 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 a hundred percent of anyone that does says they don't, anyone that says they don't, we leave them out of this conversation because <laughs> I don't waste my time with that kind of. Correct. When you think when you think you've known it all, that's when uh, my conversation ends there and then. Um, starting a little bit, looking back at um, you you boxed Peter Quillen in two thousand and fifteen, the same year as our own Andy Lee, who eked out a draw with him. Uh, ferocious puncher, phenomenal uh, reputation in the ring, probably without a shadow of a doubt at his peak right then. And it's striking for me. I only really noticed that after I did my geek work last night. At the very end of it, I just went back to check who was doing the, the fight call at the site. And you may well just have shown a certain Mr. Jacobs how to get to Quillen in that fight. Um, he was ringside. He was calling the fight for PBC. You know, obviously that was the first time. I was only young and the first time I had to, to step up to the big stage. And um, obviously, you know, when we're in Australia, it's completely different. Uh, it's different sports, you know, from Australia to America, even though you're still boxing. Um, the way it's run and, and presented over there to how it is here, you know, our big our big stages here are probably capacity of three to five thousand, um, and and it's not as you know yeah. as crazy as it was over there. And you know, when I walked out, I was like, Jesus, this is nuts. A lot of aggressive fans, and just the way it was run, it was it was run a little differently to what I'm used to. Obviously, like I said, it was my first time out of overseas. I just didn't realise that. He's super middleweight, mate. He must have been a super middleweight by the time. And that was what I was going to say to you. We could go on about him and on and on about him. Everybody that knows boxing knows what Peter Quillen is. If you don't, go and have a look at it. He he had a reputation for being a ferocious fighter, a ferocious puncher. And and to be fair to you, you got to him. You found a home for that, right? You puzzled him. You could see him at times. You got... 
got to the third, fourth round, he was trying the old man tricks, he was dirty and he was roughing up and everything else. A lot of that tends to come through from fighters. They'll say, the Americans will say, oh, they're showing him who's the boss. But to me, that showed that you were tormenting him, you were getting to him. Uh, what were the most, the size was the first thing that struck you. Uh, in the clinches and everything else, the power, um, did it become apparent as you were a young fighter, it was very much a learning curve, wasn't it, on the job? 100%. Well, like the game plan we had, you know, obviously we knew he was a big puncher, so number one rule was, you know, don't exchange with him in, in the clinch. But um, I found when I was on the outside, you know, he was pretty easy to hit. Uh, you know, I was landing and I, I was in the fight, you know, up to that fifth round. And then obviously, my in, being inexperienced, I thought, you know, I'm landing here, I'm, I'm, I'll just walk forward and, and keep doing it. But obviously, you learn pretty quickly that that's not how it works. Yeah. And um, you know, I got caught with a big left hook. And again, you know, going to that level from the level I was fighting at it's a big difference and um, I've never been hit like that and it was a big shock to the system you know, obviously then he, he had the experience and, and the professionalism to, to do what he did but you know he he's he had sledgehammers in both hands yeah. he was just super strong but very readable he was a very readable very readable player. yeah and, and you, you had more than your fair share of moments in that fight you, you really did and I'm not being yeah. I'm not blowing bubbles I don't do that you, you, you held your own for while you were in there and as you said, uh, the pattern he probably did lead into that. He was he 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 probably lulled you into believing that it was t- time to stand and trade. And then being a super middleweight, let's face it, being in there with with a guy who was a natural one fifty four, it, it paid off in the end. But to be fair to you, you got back on the horse. You had eight straight wins. You were back. You were back in the ring less than four months later. As you say, you were ready. You were stayed ready. You played eight straight wins, and you went to Sheffield. Another raucous atmosphere. That how what was that like? Yeah. That was one of the best experiences of my life. And, um, you know, obviously I didn't get the win. But, you know, to fight one of the legends in the sport and someone who I've always looked up to, and I'm a huge fan of Special K. He's done great things for the sport. But, you know, just the lead up to the fight, the way it was run, the media, um, and just when I, you know, when they called, I had Michael Buffer as my, my ring announcer and <laughs> just everything, you know, just walking out to the ring. And I just had all these um, these English fans that didn't really like me. They don't like many of us. They don't like us either, so you're okay. They, they, they definitely didn't like me at all. But, um, you know, it was just good. And I got the ring and I thought, you know, this is, you know, I'll win this fight. You know, and dreams come true. And, and to know that I can mix it with one of the best in the world for 12 rounds, not many have done that, um, you know. And I was I was inexperienced. And I, was, I believe if I fought him now, it's a different fight. I've gone another level since then and uh, with my team, my strength um, and my ability, mentally and physically. Um, you know, I have another crack and, and I told these guys I'm coming, I'm coming back. Keep that belt nice and warm ready for me. There's no doubt about it when you look at it and you listen to the way the commentary and everything went. They were they were teeing you up. They were trying to serve you to Calbrook, But it didn't happen. The fight played out. The, he started all blaze and you started to pick him off. You stopped him. You walked him down. You were finding the right hand over and over and over again. And he wasn't comfortable, was he? Well, no, he even said to me after the fight, he said, mate, you've got a big career. He said, you know, uh, at 26 years old, I wasn't fighting Calbrook. He said, yeah, there's a few times and uh, in that fight that you, you know, you hurt me. And he said, um, you know, we definitely underestimated Zarafa. He said, you know, this kid proved that by going on fighting and knocking out Jeff Horn, uh, who beat Manny Pacquiao. Yes. You know, so he gave me the recognition I deserved after the fight. But yeah. yeah, they definitely looked past me and, and I knew um, that they would do that. And, um, you know, and I didn't have the best training camp for that fight either. You know, there was a lot of should I, shouldn't I. And, um, you know, I went out there and, and fought on hard, and, and I started. I started a little slow early, and uh, you know, I found my range around round six, round seven. I started bringing it home, and you know, he said to me after, he said, "Man, there's a lot of times you hurt me." He said, "So keep your chin high." He said, "Cause um, yeah, we definitely we looked past you, and we thought we'd blow you out of there in the first round or two, which Man. was looking that way. But I stayed in there, and I had to do what I had to do, and you know, fight a fights. Incredible. Um, I told you, I'm, I'm a promoter's favourite fighter. Because every time they put me on a show, I want to fight. I'll, I'll entertain the fans. So. Well, I watched it again last night and I looked. I certainly was, and, and I tried to score it objectively. So, and I'm not trying to blow. I would have given you from four to an eight and probably argued about nine. And I thought that was yes. coming into the, and then the experience, I suppose, then. But he was in, I won't say he was, I'd be lying if I said he was in trouble, but he was really uncomfortable. He was settled out of his patterns and, and you were hurting him. You could see by him when you were landing those shots. You landed a couple of lefts as well, followed him up with the combinations. 
yeah. he, 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 you could see him pawing at the side of his face at times as well. He was like, shit, this guy has power, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, he and, said the same thing. He said, okay, he goes, you, you hit hard. He said, and, and you think you got you, but you don't. You're very uncomfortable to, to box. You can't box him. You can't land those jabs. But see that experience, just that world class. There. There's that 1%, 2% that they have. And I believe I have that now. So yeah. um, I'm ready. I just want to go back to that top level and fight on the big stage again and prove myself because that's where I belong you know and I proved that against Jeff Horn yeah um, and that's you know, the one I was going to say and those two fights and the atmosphere and everything else all led towards Bendingo Stadium man anybody I'm going to say to the people that are listening to this now whether it's backpackers my Irish compadres in Australia all around that lovely country or whether it's here in Ireland or around the world in America we're getting a lot of new listeners over the last little while which is brilliant um, but yeah. anyone that hasn't seen the fight, the first or the second fight, particularly the first one, the atmosphere in the Bendigo Stadium in Australia was absolutely incredible. Talk to me a little bit about that. It was a tasty, fiery build-up. It was an absolute <laughs> cracker. It must have been fight of the year in Australia, was it? Yeah, yeah, we got fight of the year. We got it on two occasions, so the first and second fight. So we definitely, we're, we're looking for a trilogy. Uh, we, the third fight needs to happen for the fight fans for Australia. For the world, anyone that follows boxing wants to see that that third fight, so... We're pushing for that, but you know the, ele- the the stadium in the first fight was electric. You know, walking out, um, you know, I was only an hour and a half drive from my house. I was I was wow. in my backyard, and I had um, you know so much support. There was like seven eight thousand people there. It was on Fox Sports, and you know we got a lot of coverage. It was on the news, and and I knew I knew I was going to beat him. I, I called it twelve weeks prior to the fight. Leading you did the yeah. fight. Every time I was that. every time I was in front of a camera, or um, every time I was in. in you know, some form of media, I would say, Jeff Horn will fall, I'm going to knock Jeff Horn out. And it wasn't cocky, I was just confident, I believed how hard I worked. I was on a different level. Um, you know, and, and that's the same thing in the second fight. You know, yeah, he made it a little bit better. Uh, but, you know, there was, a lot of, there was a lot of rubbish behind the scenes that, you know, uh, didn't sit well with me. You know, there, there was a lot of, uh, you know, questions that, yeah. that should have been answers yeah yeah and and that comes then you see in the second one i suppose it comes to trying to settle the guy who has caused the problem and the upset in the first fight and we've seen that even if we go back take the best example and another big influence on the young michael zaraf was the rocky movies we saw how apollo upset rocky in the second fight he didn't give him the sort of build-up that he wanted boxing you know people forget as well as as much as you know um people talk and whatnot yeah that's second fight it's it's a business as well you know you want to you want to make it interesting. You want yeah. to make, you know, there's got to be always a guy that's not liked or that talks a little bit. You know, you've got to sell the fight. Uh, make it interesting. And that, and that was my role. And, you know, Anthony Mardin, someone that's done it perfectly. Um, you know, you've got guys like him. You've got even guys like Conor McGregor, you know, one of your boys yeah. um, that talks. And he sells the fight and makes it interesting. And, you know, all the guys that have made it in the sport, they're all talkers. They're all businessmen. And, um, you know, boxing, as well as your fight and, and, and stuff, I'm very humble. I love giving back and I love helping people. But, um, you got to sell the fight, and, and Jeff Horn wasn't, he's not a talker, so one of us had to be it, and um, uh, unfortunately it was me, but um, it's good, you know, it's built a lot of fans, it's built a lot of interest, and um, I'm just looking, I'm looking forward to my future, you know, and the people that reach out, you know, the, the Irish, you know, I love the Irish people, they've, they've shown me um, so much love um, since, especially from my Cal Brooks fight, and, um, you know, so anyone that's, that's listening and, and uh, that, is, that is following me and showing their love, I just want to say thank you because um yeah i'm feeling it. i'm feeling the love you're a real character michael as well let's be honest about it some some people mightn't like some people might but you're you're, you're at the back of it all you're you and, and what i listen to you in the interviews up to this and i'm listening to you now interaction with you on social media it's the same and what i find sometimes is some kind sometimes fellas particularly early in their career um not that you're early in the career but sometimes you'll see a fella he'll try to create and cultivate a little sort of any uh identity and then when you speak to him he's a total different person, which I think then it becomes dangerous because you can, one side of it can become a little bit more tainted than the other. And I think the more you can keep it straight to center, close to center, the better. Um, talk to me about the style of Jeff, because it's the one thing the true, I mean, again, I'm not, there's no need for me to talk to anybody that likes anyway, remotely boxing about Jeff Horn. He busted onto the scene, but before he beat Manny Pacquiao, he he was one of the leading lights in Australian boxing, along with, with a few more down there. But he has a reputation for having a style that's very, very difficult. And he met his match that night. Your style, it's just, I'm trying to figure it out. It, it, it's almost like you're dancing to reggae at one minute, then you're dancing to a little bit of trance. You're moving, there's no patterns. Is that something that you work hard on? I appreciate on? it. I appreciate it, mate. I appreciate it. Because you know, everyone I've been in the ring with has, has said the same thing. You, know, you, you think you've got him and then all of a sudden he pulls out something out of the bag and he hits you with a left right. And you know sometimes it can be good night. So... Yeah, it's 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 good that I've got that uh, you know 
effect on, on fighters where they do struggle to have to think and I keep them on their toes. But Jeff Horn was an interesting character. You know, I, 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 struggle, I didn't struggle. Uh, he's just, he's hard to read. Um, so, yeah, look, you can't say I struggled a little bit, but, um, you know, once I found my range and you can find your range and once you do find it, he's, uh, he doesn't know how to break that. You know, you can pick yeah. him all night. He doesn't know how to change his style. But um, it's, the, it's finding it. It's finding that range. But once you find it, he's very easy to pick off. Um, and he did it well in the second fight to to not allow me to find that range. Um, but, you know, he, he comes in with his elbows like you've seen in previous fights and all his fights. You know, he comes and leaves with his head, his elbows. Hmm. Um, he's a messy fighter. Yeah, he's strong. But, um, yeah, look, you know, he's, he's not the classiest fighter. I, I wouldn't put him in there. I wouldn't say he's a Floyd Mayweather. No, definitely not. And I don't think he would himself either, I think, if we're being honest about it. I, I think it has to be, as you guys say down there, for sure. It's um, it's definitely a, a version of the Arturo Gatti and Mickey Ward in Australian colours. Um, I think the third one will exactly. really does have to happen. And, th- and that's a compliment of compliments because there's very few of those fights can stand up. But people just have to go look at them. They were very, very special. They had a little bit of everything. Was there a beef? Was it for the fight? Was it purely business? Is it buried until the fight comes around again? Can you can you guys get on? Uh, look, uh, with with some other, with, with previous fighters and, and I've, I've had a little bit of, you know, beef with them, but, you know, after the fight, we're good mates. But I don't know, there's just this weird connection with me and Jeff. Uh, we just generally don't get along. And it's strange because we, even when we try, it's just awkward. <laughs> and I, I've tried, I've tried to be a nice guy. Like, you know, prior to the fight, we had to do a photo shoot where we, we had to get to <laughs> Um, yeah, this is a funny story. Actually, we actually had to walk. Uh, so we had our press conference and whatnot and our weigh-in, and then we had to go to a media photo shoot, and we had to walk. It was just me and him. We had to walk um, oh, no. to, the, to the venue, and we, we were talking, and it was just awkward. And he's like, well, so how you been? I'm like, yeah, good, mate, yourself. And there was just this weird tension, and we just don't get along. Uh, I don't hate the bloke, but... Um, you know, just there's unfinished business. That's okay too, that. though, isn't it, Michael? Because it's it's real. You know what I mean? It's not one side trying to force oh, anything. It's just it's. Do you know what I could? I'm coming up with a silly analogy here in my head. It's like um maybe he's he's had that um adulation. He's had that status. He's had that all of that for, for and he's earned it. But uh, here comes this young guy coming along in the background who wants it, who's earning it as well, and he's just hungry, if not hungrier for it. So it's almost like looking at the girl in high school that you wanted all the time, and then you get to meet her, you get to walk along beside her, and it's like this real shit. Oh, what do I say next? This awkwardness. <laughs> exactly. exactly. It's spot on. And, and I've tried. We've both tried. I believe he's tried as well. But yeah, we just we just don't get along. And, um, you know, obviously now we want that third fight. So... Um, yeah, I don't think I don't think we're going to be friends anytime soon. But uh, again, I've got nothing against him. He's a, he's a family man, and uh, you know he's he's in the sport just like I am. Well, and, usually uh, usually time time in those scenarios. Once the business side of things is done, once the third fight's out of the way, he's probably mindful as well of the fact that there is going to be a third one. Then you've got a crop coming right through there now in Australian boxing. We've got Benny Mahoney, we've got Drew Hunt, we've got in we've got Abani, we've got um, Didi. You've got some incredible fighters. Tim Zoo, of course, that famous name. I only watched a fight the other night with his dad. Incredible, incredible fight. Ricky yep. Hatton won for the ages. Um, you've got yourself. You've yep. got Jeff Horn. Um, it's it's a golden era, isn't it, for Australian boxing? Hundred percent. You know the 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 talent is growing, um, and, and it's great to see. You know, I, I think locals should be fighting locals on bigger stages. You know, I think we need better promotions, yes. bigger promotions here. Um, but I truly believe in the in the one fifty four and one sixty pound division uh i'm ruling that at the moment and and i and i'm happy to prove that you know i've said to you know all these guys you know your mahoney's and all these other fighters that try to call me out i said look if it makes i said call my call my manager i said get your team to call myself if the fight makes sense and it's a moving forward fight i'll be there every fight needs to make sense to me if it doesn't make sense i'm not fighting you know whether it be a financial uh, benefit whether it be a world top benefit whether it be you know um a forward moving if you beat him you know, it opens up another gate for me and it's contract, you know, it's in a contract, I'll do it. Yeah. But I'm not doing it for any, it's not, it's not, it's boxing, you can't play boxing, it's, this is not, you don't get second chances at this, you know what I'm saying? One that's, one that's peculiar for me, and I, and I can see, I'm, I'm trying to read between the lines, and feel free to answer this however way you are or not, one that doesn't make sense for me from the other man's point of view is Anthony Mundine, and, and I looked at his fight with John Wayne Parr, he's a legend in the sport, He's up there with Jeff yeah. Fennick and, and fellas who, who have represented your country when, when ma- many Australians weren't watching or, do, or boxing. 
uh, incredible. Yeah. But it's a long time ago. His peak was a long time ago. He had a fight with John Wayne Parr. It didn't turn out his way. To me, to take a fight with a hungry, young, skillful and up-and-coming Michael Zarafa, is, is that... It seems from outside like a peculiar fight. Would that will that happen in and around the one sixty? Would it be a catchweight? Do you think if it was to happen? Uh, well, look, I can't say too much. Um, but what I can say for me, it's always been a fight since I was a little kid. It's a legacy fight for me. Um, you know, Anthony Mundine has dominated two sports. Uh, you know, former world champion. He's done things that guys want to do. Yeah. And um, you know, I I reached out to him when I was fifteen years old, and I think back then it was MySpace. And um, people, <laughs> yeah, some some old school stuff, and it would have been about twelve Brilliant. years ago. And I said, you know, uh, one day I'm going to fight you, and I'm going to retire you. And he he actually laughed and said, yeah, no worries, mate. And um, so for me, I've always held on to that. And he's always someone I've looked up to, and I've always said I'm going to I'm going to knock him out, I'm going to retire him. And um, you know, like he said, he goes, this is his chance. And um, yeah, you know, he truly believes he's not done. He thinks that he's going to make the greatest comeback in boxing history. He's going to do a Bernard Hopkins. You know, this mm. is what he, he truly believes. And um, I'm happy to give him that, that chance. You know, my name, I'm, I'm there. You know what I mean? I'm in the top 10. Um, if, he wants to, if he wants to have a crack, so be it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, who's, who else is left? This is what I say to people. I want the Horn and Zoo fight. You know, Mundine is not my first, my first option. Yeah. If I had to pick, I'd want Horn in a third fight or Tim Zoo. But, you know, they, they obviously don't want those fights. And they're, they're working out, you know, negotiating a fight themselves. So, uh, who's left for me? You know, these guys that have had five fights, like Mahoney, he's not at my level yet. In the current climate, the way things are, Michael, there's a lot of promoters are going to have to readjust their tactics. They're going, there's a lot of fighters who have been very precious and have been demanding a lot of money and a lot of silly fees over the last, and, and, and just negotiating terms. That, and I'm not talking about anyone in Australia, I'm talking about in general in the world scale. So we can look at the Canelo, we can look at Golovkins, we can look at these fellas. Correct. And you start to look at the list of demands and you think, hold on a minute, Princess. I mean, yeah, there's a, this is boxing, you know what I mean? Yeah, there is money in it, but at the same time, you have to want to, Anthony Joshua. You have to want to get in there and fight. Get in with Tyson Fury. Make these big fights and Correct. and and live on your own reputation and live stand on your Correct. record. Uh, do you think in these times behind closed doors is there an opportunity to make people be a little bit less precious? They're going to be forced to be, or does it just make them worse? Ah, uh, look, it's a good question. You know, I feel a lot of fighters, um, some fighters, you know, I, I truly believe they're scared to fight. They 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 want to do it more. It's an ego thing for them. You know, I've had. Um, Fighters that are like, oh, you know, but what's his record? And oh, but he's a big puncher. And you hear some crazy things. And I'm like, you know, you're in the sport, you're a fighter. You know, this is, it's life or death. You know what I mean? And um, that's why I've never shied away from a fight. You know, every, everyone that's, that's you know, been offered to me, I'll, I'll, I've accepted it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I want to, I want to be the best. You got to, you got to beat the best. And, you know, it sounds crazy, but I want to fight these Canelos. I want to fight these Triple Gs. Yeah. You know, with the right training camp, with the right time. And, you know, the right people around you. These are the fights that I want. This is why I'm a fighter. Mm. I don't fight just so I can have a padded record of, you know, 30 and 0. You know what I mean? Like, you look at my last four fights, you know, I fought Cal Brooks, yes. Jeff Horns, you know what I mean? I fought former world champions. And, um, and you know, obviously my last fight was it was a loss, um, controversial, but it was a loss. And, you know, I need to bounce back now. Um, if I, you know, if I could get back overseas and fight the top guys, I'd do that tomorrow. I'm in the perfect shape to do it. I'm always ready. You're a throwback fighter, Michael. To me, it's a throwback attitude. It's a throwback style. Throwback everything. You you want to fight. You want to throw down whenever you want to throw down. And I believe... I want to fight. You know what I mean? I want to give the fight fans what they deserve. You know, you've got football fans that go and watch the footy. I want to give boxing fans, you know, a fight of a life. And, you know, win, lose or draw, we're athletes. You know what I mean? We come back and and we rebuild and and we go again. I truly believe fight fans deserve that. And that's all I want to do. I just want to give back to the fight fans. Yeah. They deserve it. You know what I mean? You know, they're paying so much money to watch it on TV and, and um, you know, watch it on, uh, on in, live at a stadium. And I want to give these guys the best show. They deserve it. One of the last things I, I've spoken in the past here, I've spoken to Kieran Farrell, who's had a horrendous injury in the ring. He had a brain injury. He never, he, with, with Anthony Crawler, an unbelievable fight if you get a chance to watch it. Uh, he never tra- he never fought again. He went on set up his own gym. I spoke with uh, Declan Spellman who bought uh, Scott Westgart. Scott passed away. You had your fa- fair share of of that as well. Are you okay for me to mention Dwight Ritchie? Uh, yeah, that's fine. No I, I don't want to go into too many details. I just want to pay respect to you as as the of respectful course. fellow that you are, and of course to the memory of a warrior. For people that aren't familiar with it, and I'm getting a little bit awkward. We buried five of our warriors last year with their gloves on, and uh, Mike was prepara- preparing for his rematch with Jeff Horn. 
and he, his sparring partner Dwight uh, took an ill turn after a session. How did that affect you? Um, and and it's something I'm sure will live with you forever, isn't it? The worst day of my life. Um, I'm getting a little bit emotional. Um, yeah. look, you know, it, it was it was tough. You know, Dwight, me and Dwight, we've always been competitors, um, and we've always been very competitive of each other. You know, we're always number one and two. You know, then the next week, you know, two and one. And, would always change positions, you know, whether I'd be number one, he's number two, and then the next week he'll be number two. So we've always been competing with each other ever since we were amateurs, and we've sparred over a thousand rounds. Um, you know, we were the two toughest blokes in Australia, and everybody knew that. You know, when we sparred, it'd be like a, a stadium. You know, you'd get two, three hundred people in a in gym um, behind closed doors, and uh, it was a tragic day, um, and you know, something I'll never forget. And it, it affected me uh, dearly, and. Um, you know, to know that he had three beautiful children um, and a lovely family. And, and like I said, his family's been amazing and, and so supportive. And everyone close to me has been nothing but amazing. But, um, you know, I, I surely wish I had the power to bring him back. because not only a great boxer and a talent, he was a gentleman. Um, you know, and he wore his heart on his sleeve. And, um, you know, yeah. hopefully we see him soon again. Yeah, no, listen, beautiful words. And, 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 and I felt it just fitting to finish on this and I wanted to make sure respectfully to you that it was okay. And, and trust me, I, my my heart is very much on my sleeve. My emotions are never too far from the surface. And, and even just to hear you speak about them there as well, it's um, it's it's the sad reality of this sport of ours that people need to remember that beyond all the bullshit, the shit talk and all the big figures and all the zeros and all the fancy things that you see when the fight time comes around, um, there's a very, very real side to this sport. And... People forget that, you know, people um, are quick to, to call other fighters weak and soft. And, you know, I respect even my opponents. Anyone that gets in that ring, I, I, I have respect for because, um, you know, it could be the last time you step in that ring, yeah. you know what I mean? And it's you can't play boxing. People forget, no. you know, I know there's a lot of memes and quotes and, but you truly can't. You can. You can. You can't even say that in the sentence. Play boxing. I took the little fellow with the with the American football yesterday, and we were we were the new Tom Brady's on the green. We were doing it all. You know, you can't say, "Right, get your gum shape. We're going to have a mess around," because invariably someone tags somebody, and then it becomes real. It's all on. It you know, real. I've had a fair share of those days. Yeah, you know, you can't have light sparring. It's uh, it goes for about a round. It goes for about two minutes, and then someone will land the shot, and then before you know it, you're going hammering some. You're throwing haymakers. Well, Mike, listen, it's been an absolute privilege to speak with you. I really appreciate you taking the time. I've been, it's been a real, oh, um, cool. it's been, it's been a buzz to be honest with you, to be able to converse with you back and forth. You're always respectful. You know how to sell a fight. You've got it all. You're a throwback fighter. Um, I have my own feelings who the next one is going to be against. Um, but listen, as an Irish fan and as a, I'm wearing a very broad smile here and I'm going to be the, the, <laughs> the, the, the I'm going to be the, the uh, devil's advocate. I'm going to say a future down the line at 154. Do we see uh, Michael Zarafa versus Dennis Hogan? Look, the fight's been offered. Um, you know, I said that's a fight we wanted. I truly believe I'll beat him. He's a legend. Um, but I believe I'm, I'm better. So for that fight, call my management and let's make it happen. There we go, Irish people. There it is. Live on Ainswell Boxing. There you have Mike Zarafa offering and uh, willing to accept. You're a legend, mate. I appreciate it. And to all the Irish guys that are tuning in, uh, follow my career and, and show some love. And um, I appreciate it. You're absolute champions. Yeah, and we finished on a little sombre, something of a sombre note there. But I felt it right, proper and fitting to remember another one of our great warriors, Dwight Ritchie, who was carried out on his shield. Not likely to be forgotten by Michael, Australia fight fans or boxing fans around the world. Wasn't sure what to expect from Michael. His media profile is always colourful and large, but he's an engaging character. He's real and I needn't have worried, he's a gent. I hit him up not too long ago. Found him, hit him up on social media, let him know your thoughts. So hit him up, not literally, let him know your thoughts, let him know you listened in and see what he thinks. He loves the Irish and he loves to hear from us. I want to say a special thanks again to the gang at iChoose for their backing and support. It's wonderful to have only my second backer in these times of financial uncertainty. The extra pennies are all better off in your pocket and my pocket. Check out the link in the notes today. And again, thanks a lot for listening. Please try to add your name to the petition for St. Teresa's. If you can in any other way do anything to help, well that's a bonus. That's it for me and them until then. Get out in that sun, grab some while it's still there. Stay safe and stay sane. <laughs>